Hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is another edition of our show. I'm Bojan Stanislavski and with me is the co-host of the show, Dr. Maria Chernar. Hi. Hello, Bojan. All right, so let's uh, talk about some, uh, uh, some news from Romania and Poland. Uh, let's begin with Romania. What's been up uh, recently in uh, the country of your residence? Well, in the country of my residence, you would think that things are going fantastic. If you were to look at the declarations, President Johannes, that is a president that refused to talk to the press and give an interviews, give an interview for the past nine years, he's been in office. And he is praising the coalition of government formed by the national liberals, the right wing, I would say extreme right wing party in terms of economics. Uh, and uh, the Social Democrats, the mild centrist party with conservative elements. President Johannes spoke in very positive terms about this coalition now that the Social Democrats have the premiership in this coalition, because when the coalition was formed, that is almost two years ago, the idea was that um national liberals would appoint a prime minister and that prime minister would serve for one year and a half and after the one year and a half uh, then the social democrats would get their chance to appoint the prime minister and other ministers in the government the teachers despite the things and my expectations uh, for in contrary to what you may think about my pessimism, I was rather optimistic because the teachers, they striked for three weeks, but they got a raise of 100 euros, which is peanuts money for a country like Romania, where if you gain like a person entering the educational profession, if you gain like 500 euros, it will be almost impossible to survive in Bucharest. And after three weeks of striking, they got now 100 euros more. That's something, but to strike for three weeks to get a 100 euros raise in your salary, that's quite pathetic. And another pathetic thing and rather saddening is the fact that for the first time in the past three decades we have amazing harmony in Romanian politics no more accusations no more um, TV justice with people you know paraded in prime time in front of the viewers and the cameras of the mainstream TV channels with their shackles and being brought for investigation we had that for years but now everything seems to be going perfect everything seems to be smooth and i would dare say there is almost no opposition the only opposition that we have is the right wingers from ours so we have centrist parties like the social democrats the central party with quite a lot of conservative uh, elements in it is nothing 
socially democrat about it, especially in terms of its collaboration with the Orthodox Church and its support for the referendum for the family where Romania was supposed in 2018 to define the family as the union between a man and a woman, not between spouses. Then you have the extreme, almost libertarians that are the national liberals. This is the coalition. And then you have as opposition a right-wing party that is more nationalistic, xenophobic, and it's extremist in its rhetoric and its flamboyant discourses and its appearance and it's more discourse power techniques that real radical uh, changes that they are advocating for. And as I told you, they are quite violent in their behavior since their uh, leader, George Simeon, basically grabbed the mayor of Bucharest in front of everybody, the cameras in a press conference by the shoulders, and he basically dragged the guy through the hallways of the Romanian parliament. So this is the political landscape. And as I told you, in the past three decades, there was not a single week where we haven't heard from an accusation, a scandal, uh, corruption accusations, nothing. Now everything seems to be perfect. You think that Romania is number one in terms of um, reducing poverty rates. Well, in fact, we are number one with the highest rate of poverty, extreme poverty, people going hungry to bed, poverty, with 34.4% of Romanians, so more than a third of Romanians, finding themselves in these dire circumstances, in this very bleak and desperate circumstance of not having enough to eat. So, this is so bizarre, and I dare say it was never that bad, never that bad in terms of the debates, because as I told you, at least when they were fighting, we got a chance of at least finding something, at least there is this illusion, you know, of democracy, there is at least that, but now we haven't got even that. So everything, according to the president, is going perfect, the coalition is going excellent, and in this situation where you have 34% of the population in extreme poverty, Cholaku says the current prime minister from recently appointed just yesterday from the Social Democrats just saying that he will lower the commercial profits and the edit by the food chains and the department stores to basic goods for Romanians <laughs> to somehow appease the high level of inflation that we experienced in the past month to a year. So this is well, it. Good luck. Basically. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the situation. I mean, I told you it's so, so weird because at least when we have this type of quarrels, this type of conflicts, at least something was moving there. But now everything is at the standstill. The president, the political class, they seem to be very happy. And I think for them, things are going very well. They got oh, yeah. the press on their pockets because they have this law allowing them to invest in promoting their agenda, meaning that they sign a contract with the communication firm, but then the communication firm signs secret contracts with mainstream media channels. I was talking about that. Yeah. And I told you that 
the press is in their pocket, so you have the Potemkin village, you know, as the Russians said. I mean, when the Tsar was going in the country, they painted, you know, some villages to seem, and we have this Potemkin democracy, you know. The, the, I don't think that there ever was, I don't know if in the world, but certainly not in Eastern Europe, such a fakery, such a perfect fake. So we managed to do it, the perfect fake, <laughs> the, the perfect democracy fake, you know. Oh, I think, I think it's not uncommon in Eastern Europe, really. So uh, I'm not sure if, uh, <clears throat> if you can be proud of that, like in inverted commas, of course, because I think many instances of that, uh, we've seen many instances of that in our region, not least in the country of my origin, Bulgaria, where things have been pretty, pretty much fake uh, from the very beginning and at very much at the expense of the entire population, its its future also, uh, <clears throat> which seems to be none at the moment, really. But that's that's yes, another matter. Somebody's, I, I... Paying, somebody's paying for this, you know. It's yeah. not like uh, for this. Yeah, yeah. I think. I, I think. Yeah, I think it's very important to know uh, to uh, to actually point it out because uh, we've all paid a huge price already. Uh, back in the early 90s, and now we seem to be paying uh, even a worse price. And actually, this is this is my question to you. Whereas, because there are in, in many countries in Eastern Europe, <clears throat> like Bulgaria, like Poland, for example, especially Poland, like the country of my current residence, is uh, <clears throat> we have a very strong political conflict, and the political class is uh, horribly divided. Now, the same can be said about Bulgaria: five rounds of parliamentary elections within two years, and a government that represents literally nobody. Now, then, uh, you know, you have uh, Hungary where, you know, people are massively in favor, uh, vote massively in favor of, uh, uh, of Orban, yeah, Orban and, and his party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, then there is, of course, turmoil <clears throat> in Czech Republic and uh, Slovakia. But like, I don't want to go into all those uh, detail, into, into the details of all those situations. I'm just mentioning it because I, I wonder whether whether this peace and this appeasement between um, various factions of the political class in Romania and we know not only from your uh, analysis here on our program but you know from general culture that they they used to be at each other's throats right like the social democrats who are the descendants of the uh, former communist party whatever they uh, they they are you know they they, they are hated so massively that it's difficult to even imagine that they would sit in the same room, right? Like it's difficult for them to breathe the same air in the parliamentary chamber. And now they are having this great grand, you know, national coalition of whatever, like, I don't know if they have a special funny name to refer to it. The, like, like, for example, the coalition of national unity or something like that. I don't know whether they use that. But, you know, the question that I have about it is perhaps they are kind of doing it uh, not so much because they started loving each other or because they discovered how great it is to actually steal things together, uh, but, because, but because it could be that they are preparing the political class to a joint effort with regards to what is going on in Ukraine. Could it be the case that they... That may be. I mean, I can find this is highly speculative because I have no um, no evidence whatsoever. Mm. But it definitely seems that a force bigger than those of those political parties came and said, "Guys, 
We know you have your differences, but then you have to sit at a table and this is what you have to do. And it's a very interesting comparison in this type of coalition between parties that were at each other's throats with Bulgaria. I mean, you have Boyko Borisov and his GERB, and then you have, we continue the change, and all of a sudden they are, you know, in this big romance together, and they have a coalition with a turning premiership, you know, with this idea of, of changing the... the I mean, it's the same thing, at least as if they drank with the same glass or somebody gave them the same script. I mean, I don't want to get into too much of this because it's highly speculative and we have no proof that that might happen even though in Bulgaria... You know, I'm just asking about, your, I'm asking about your own individual, individual thoughts. ...is that um, there is no other explanation. I mean, Romania was in a terrible political crisis uh, two years ago. Why would all of a sudden these parties that were at each other's throats would come and work together of course there is this thing that you mentioned like spilling things together <laughs> might prove very very you know very serious incentive for those people who had been involved in huge corruption scandals over the years but i think there is more to it because there is no other explanation that the fact that another political force that comes from outside Romania or from the secret mm. services or these elements together, uh, get them to get together and have this very harmonious, you know, and very peaceful cohabitation and collaboration where you have the social Democrat. I, I didn't think I would, you know, live the day where I would see somebody from the Social Democrats saying this is not the government of the Social Democrats, this is not the government of the National Liberals, but this is the government of Romania. I mean, we have a very famous, you know, um, uh, writer, Karagiale. I mean, he was brilliant in, in writing about uh, this type of fake democracy 100 years ago and you would have thought that this type of discourses are exactly the ones that you read in literature and the ones that he was mocking 100 years ago and it's well, so that's, that, I mean, that's the beauty for 34 percent of romania being mm. in extreme poverty this would be laughable because it's so obvious and in your face that they have other interests than Romania that uh, it's almost surreal yeah yeah I think I think you're right it's also the kind of the beauty again in inverted commas uh, of our times that uh, you could read you know all kinds of classical political rich literature and you would feel like it was written yesterday right uh, when you come to yes. think about uh, Rosa Luxemburg and what she wrote about the social democratic parties, um, you know, uh, after the First World War, you know, and, and uh, not only that, like, I don't want <clears throat> to, I don't want to now make this, uh, I, I don't want to turn it into, into a kind of lecture about classical Marxist, Marxist literature, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's really stunning that, uh, you know, you get people from, uh, who used to write, and observe reality 100 years ago who can explain things better than an average leftist you know in in where you live that's, well, that's... i don't want to go there and discuss now the left because it's no, no i don't want to yeah i don't i don't want to discuss left I, i'm just i'm just 
I'm just noticing it. Like I'm noting basically the fact that you know you have people who live today who are you know unable to explain the situation, <laughs> so you have to reach out uh, you know out for uh, for literature uh, created by people you know living a century ago or something like that. Yeah, I want to go now to Poland because sure. something very sad happened uh, recently. Yet again, we see how a sadistic law that was put in a place, put in place by your government, the idea that you can intervene if a pregnant mother comes and the fetus is likely to die. The doctors do not intervene because they fear legal consequences. And they just wait for the fetus to die inside the body of the mother. And if it proves that it is too late to intervene and the mother dies, that's it. I just saw a clip showing that six women lost their lives in the past one and a half or almost two years since this, this sadistic, insane and I don't know how to call it, terrible law was put in place saying that the fetus comes first or prevents doctors from intervening in case that the fetus has health problems. They just wait. And uh, some of them probably fearing legal consequences, other doctors for ideological reasons. And now you have the sixth victim of this terrible law. So I would like you to comment on, on that. Right. So first of all, I want to say that uh, the first thing that has to be said is, of course, that it's a tragic and absolutely tragic event uh, that, you know, a young woman has lost its life. Uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can immediately link it to uh, what what the Polish government has introduced through its uh, constitutional tribunal that it controls fully uh, in uh October, if I remember correctly, 2020. The fact of the matter is, uh, it's not directly, it was not directly the Polish government who introduced this or that law or this or that restriction on the already super restrictive anti-abortion law. Uh, it was the Constitutional Tribunal that uh, came up with a sort of resolution reading of the, uh, of the Constitution and subsequently it had to be enforced in, or, or incorporated, I should say, into the legal system. And one of the three elements, or one of the three uh, exceptions that allowed for legal pregnancy termination was removed. And this, this element was, uh, this exception was, was the kind of mal... Um, how do you call this? Malformation of the fetus. I think that's the medical term. So when you, care, when you discover you carry a child that is deformed to the extent that, you know, you know if, it ever, uh, if you ever give birth to a living entity, uh, then... Uh, it will not survive, you know, longer than a couple of hours, maybe, I don't know, a couple of days, weeks, whatever, which, of course, means a lot, a lot of horrible pain and, you know, traumatic experience for, you know, a woman that has to carry such, uh, such a malformed fetus, knowing that, you know, if they ever give birth, then this, 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 
uh, creature is going to. Yeah, we, we lost you for for a moment. I understand that. That's. And, and that's of course that's of course horrible. Again, we we lost you for for a moment. So you were explaining that the mother has to give birth to the. Oh, sorry, I wasn't aware that I. I yes if she knows and even if everybody knows that that fetus is not going to survive i mean this yeah, is why exactly. i called it one of the most sadistic pieces yeah, of yeah. legislations that were ever passed in the european union i think it goes against basic human rights and it, it's an outcry and i'm so outraged that the european union who is so prone to defend the european values in ukraine all over the place is not defending the the European values when it comes to the life of mothers because this is so incredibly barbaric that I don't know if it qualifies for this century even. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'm not sure whether there were not. Uh, I'm sure there were there were laws in Europe introduced in the past that can compete in terms of moral quality with with the one here. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's not a little bit over the top, uh, because when you come to think about, uh, you know, the laws that were introduced during the reign of the certain gentleman from Austria who made, uh, you know, remarkable career in, in, the, uh, in, in Germany in the 30s, then, uh, you know, history knows all kinds of um, pathological occurrences, I guess. And, and th this is no exception in terms of European history. So, uh, but, but having said that, of course, this is this is tragic. This is absolutely mm, horrendous and and, uh, uh, and and absolutely um, well. Uh, this is worse than Ceausescu. This is worse than what Ceausescu did because Ceausescu allowed for the terminus. The, for interrupting a pregnancy that was threatening the life of the mother, that was yeah, exactly. the fetus was not viable. So even and if you had four children or you were over forty, he, he would allow yeah. for uh, yeah. pregnancy yeah. terminations. Yeah. Even Ceausescu was not. <laughs> That, yeah, that, yeah. That, again, well, I think that proves that Ceausescu is not really uh, the kind of uh, the, the most evil man of uh, of all, like in terms of uh, the last 50 or 60 uh, or 70 years of the history of Europe. So, uh, look, there, there are some things that we need to know about the situation that has occurred in Poland. So this woman died in a hospital in a small town called Novitark, uh, which... Uh, where in general, in general, the level of kind of healthcare, of the mm -hmm. yeah, institutional healthcare is not very, not very high. Okay, like if you want professional treatment, <clears throat> uh, and you have some severe condition, then you normally would not choose to go to a town like Novitarg or something like. Novitarg, you would go to one of the big urban centers where you can count on uh, on medical care on a kind of you know high well maybe not highest possible world level but a decent european kind of uh, approach okay uh, and medical standards so that's that's number one number two this particular event is not is not directly linked to this law or to this uh, uh, to this change that was introduced in 2020 because uh, the previous cases 
that were probably in the movie that you saw uh, or the previous cases that I know of, like there were four of them, I think, before <clears throat> the one that uh, mm -hmm. recent, the one woman that recently died in Novetark, uh, they, they indeed were victims pretty much directly of this law because the doctors were explaining, the doctors were explaining, and this was their defense line, that because of the law that is in place, they could not perform the pregnancy termination uh, surgery operation, whatever, because that would put them in a position of, uh, you know, being a kind of criminal, right? So that's, that's, that's against the law, right? And uh, now the dispute that, that appeared after was, was about whether, whereas you really have to be that, you have to apply this law as strictly because there are, there is another exception allowing pregnancy termination, which is the, which, which involves the question of the mother's health being endangered or life. So this is still there. And the dispute was about like, okay, so this could have been against the law in this particular technical aspect. But then there is another aspect of that law, which says that, hey, you are not allowed to put the mother's life or health in danger. And, you know, it, I think it's a, it's a very important discussion because it involves physicians who are basically in situations like that, the masters of your life and death. And I understand that, you know, the new legal framework puts a lot of pressure on the physicians, but then, you know, to be a physician is not like, you know, especially receiving birth, right? Or, or, or taking care of pregnant women is not like scrolling Facebook. It is a difficult job. And those people that are exercising this job, I'm sure they knew that this is a difficult job. They were also aware of the, uh, of the peculiarities, Polish peculiarities with regards to pregnancy termination. Uh, they were aware of the position of the Catholic Church and the political trends that were developing, not since yesterday, right? Or not even since uh, 2020. Uh, so I think that we should not, uh, like while we should criticize the government for the nonsensical, absolutely anti-humane, barbaric, you know, law that they've introduced via their um, uh, constitutional tribunal, we should not, in my opinion, abstract ourselves from the individual and corporate responsibility of the doctors. Now, if you are a doctor, you are treated according to the Polish, not just culture, but according to the Polish law, you're exercising a profession of, uh, I don't know how to translate it. I'm sure there is a term for that in English, but like word for word translation of exceptional social importance. That's what you're doing. This is what you do when you're a soldier, when you're a policeman, when you're a prosecutor, when you're a judge, when you're a teacher. And it happens strangely so that in Poland, 
all those professions have for a long period of time now, and I'm talking ever since, you know, I'm kind of observing, I have my own independent, mature, I hopefully, <laughs> observations of the uh, public sphere in Poland. Ever since, those professions have shown, have displayed very severe symptoms of demoralization. And I'm very serious about it. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not just doctors who have neglected their patients. It's not just doctors who have treated patients for, I don't know, uh, cold while they were having, I don't know, lung cancer or something like that. It's not just judges who would put, um, you know, criminals beating their wives back with this, uh, with their victims in the same home and stuff like that. It would not just be like, I don't want to, you know, the list is very long. I, I hope you get a sense of what I'm talking about here. So unfortunately, uh, and I don't have a, a, an explanation. Why is this happening? I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a cultural, you know, cultural anthropologist or something. I don't know why is it so, but the doctor's responsibility in this particular case is, in my opinion, very obvious and is much more important element in the whole analysis of this particular case, as I say, than the question of this legal framework that was uh, additionally restricted in 2020. Because this woman has had problems with her pregnancy since its you know, beginning, okay? And she's been under uh, you know, medical supervision because of that. Now, the situation here seems to be, and I'm pretty sure that this is going to be the conclusion of the prosecution and, you know, of all the organs that are investigating it, is that this was a clear example of medical error because she lost her waters and they were kind of hoping that she might actually get uh, some of the waters that were stuck somewhere in some part of her body back by... Uh, you know, making her lie down with her legs up or something like this, which, I mean, sounds like a complete mumbo-jumbo. It has nothing to do with medicine, but it doesn't seem for the moment, I mean, we will see what the investigation is going to reveal, but it doesn't seem for the moment that the law, barbaric, anti-humane, whatever, again, has actually played the basic role designing or forming the attitudes of the doctors. They just had their own idea that they will save the child or they will save the fetus, they will save the pregnancy as they... Uh, and, and it was not... Oh. Hello? Okay. Oh, okay, something. We've disappeared for a while. So this was not like the doctors and the woman were trying to, uh, to somehow find a loop that would allow them to take the fetus out so to, you know, finish the whole business off, right? Mm -hmm. Because it made no sense. But, but they were trying to, to do something in order to, again, as they say, save the pregnancy. And it doesn't seem that there was any contradiction between the will of the mother, uh, now, you know, the, the woman who's mm -hmm. dead, and the doctors, especially that the mother seems to have uh, seems to have been coming from, from medical background. So she was actually aware. And that's what, what the management of the hospital puts in their statements. They re release a statement every second day. Uh, and and they, they, they explicitly say that, that there was a discussion 
about what to do between the mother and the doctors and they were trying all kinds of things in order to again save the pregnancy and it looks like they were acting together i mean the mother and the doctor so they were probably trying to achieve something unachievable and within that experiment the mother has died now I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical specialist, all the more I'm not a prosecutor or a lawyer who knows about, you know, the, the legal regulations that are, uh, that are in place with regards to incidents like that. But I know one thing. Doctor, the doctor is not there to, a, a doctor, sorry, is not there to discuss with the patient and ask them, what would you like? You know, it's not like teacher is not there to 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 come to the to the child and go like, oh, what would you, how would you like me to teach? You know, I mean, this this makes no sense, right? Or a judge doesn't come to the you know person who's I don't know arrested and and taken to court, asking like, how would you like me to 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 pursue uh, what the court said, right? Exactly. I mean, that, that's not how you do it. Like, what you expect from a doctor is the doctor comes, diagnoses, and does what they have to do, and this has not been done. Now, whether it has not been done because they had they were Catholic fundamentalists, we don't know that. Is it because the mother insisted on something? We don't know that either. Like the investigation is going to probably show at least part of it. But the thing is that we have a very big, very serious cultural problem, social cultural problem, which involves the medical industry. And this is displayed not only here and, you know, Perhaps, just perhaps, this woman has been, uh, you know, had been discussing with the doctors and they were doing things together, like consensual and stuff. Maybe that's the case. It still does not relieve, uh, I mean, sorry, it still does not lift the responsibility weight from the doctors that performed all kinds of medical procedures on that woman that led to her death. And they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law if that is the case. And what is the additional problem on top of everything I described here is that even if it turns out so, they will not be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because there is such a huge pressure or maybe, yeah, cultural pressure, social cultural pressure that, you know, you cannot you cannot sentence doctors. We lost you for a second. It seems like the platform Hi, is... Ah, you should go back to what you said because unfortunately the internet connection... I'm sorry about that. So I I'm just saying that there's a lot of cultural social pressure not to not sentence... To not to sentence people who are not to sentence doctors, judges, policemen, prosecutors and stuff because they somehow belong to 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 a to a social circle that should not be subjected to normal procedures like everyone else. So I think this is a very big problem and unfortunately the the even bigger problem is that it is going to continue and even and another part of that bigger problem is that it is going to continue and it is going to be misused because you know we've had two or three demonstrations now in various places various cities in poland like you know stop killing us you're killing women and stuff and those protests they have a point but in this particular instance they are directing their anger where i mean their anger at the law which is so restrictive is understandable but they they seem to be abstracting themselves from the context that means that later on 
whatever happens, we will be getting more and more hysterical reactions, which is not helping the case or which is not helping the advocates of the case that is to finally do something about this barbaric law. Because the public is being taught that whatever happens, the pro-abortionists, like as they call them, which is, you know, uh, the kind of people who advocate for free and safe abortion, the pro-abortionists are going to, are, are always going to create hysterical uh, atmosphere around everything. And this is just going to decrease our credibility. So I'm, we, we really are in a very difficult situation because those on whom such women that are in trouble and need pregnancy termination could count on are losing the, you know, the last remnants of their credibility because the battle was lost long ago in 2020. But now it's a question of some kind of basic credibility which they are stripping themselves off. And I, I think, you know, it's not only that. I mean, you will see that it's going to be used in the, uh, in the campaign because we're going to have elections in October. So it's going to be used mm -hmm. in the campaign. And the next thing that, that is going to be used in the same manner is probably another suicide uh, committed by, by some, you know, teenager, because this is a plague all over the place now. I mean, not only in Poland, I'm sure really? it's pretty much this. Yeah, like it's all over Europe. And in Romania, I'm sure thing, <clears throat> the rates are in, uh, the suicide rates among teenagers are also going up. Uh, but, uh, but this is, you know, but this is because because of the you know experience of the lockdowns and stuff like that and then you know the smartphones and uh, and and the technology and the anti-social networks and all the rest of it but but then of course of course when this occurs the first thing that is going to happen as a reaction is going to be another two three four five ten demonstrations of uh you, you know how the minister of education is killing polish children or something like that which you know, again, what I'm trying to say here is that I don't like this, but I don't like the Ministry of Education. I don't like the Ministry of Health in Poland. I don't like this government in general, but I am against spinning everything in this kind of radical anti-government manner, accusing the government of doing things that it hadn't done. I mean, I, again, the law with, with regards to abortion, barbaric. Uh, very bad minister of education, but you know Kaczynski is not killing children every day or women every day. Uh, the minister of education is not killing um, yes, or provoking suicides. You know, you have to be very specific and very strategic in your fights, and uh, this is the case where the doctors were just a pure case of malpractice and doctors not exercising their profession as they should then the, the anger should go towards them and it should go towards the idea that you don't have to have enough money to go to Warsaw to be treated because there That's are right. people living outside Warsaw and big cities that might want to have babies. So yeah. if you are so pro-babies and pro-children and pro-family, maybe you should make sure that these people get the, the right kind of care that they should and they get in big cities because it might cost them a lot to travel, you know, and especially if you have to travel like twice a week or twice a month, who's going to cover for that? Yeah. And so also the last thing I want to say here, the last thing, last point I want to make is that we should use those tragic incidents in order to, to make the situation better by launching a discussion, a real debate, about the problems that our society is facing with regards to the medical industry. We have 
an obvious social, cultural and legal maybe too problem, political as well. So it deserves a debate. And this is what I think a responsible, uh, politically responsible person uh, should, should the, the points that they should make is like, okay, this has happened. Let's talk about what happened and let's see what went wrong and what was wrong in the attitude of the doctors, of the leadership of that medical facility. Uh, how is it supervised by the institutions that are run or controlled by the Ministry of Health? You know, th there are so many things that you could say and investigate, but this is not going to happen. This is just, Yes, yes, because it's highly politicized and it's highly polarized. Thank you so much, uh, Boyan, uh, for this conversation. Um, tragic event in Poland, a standstill in political life in Romania. Not very cheerful news from Eastern Europe today. We hope, nevertheless, that you enjoy the show and the conversation. And to the extent that you can afford it, please make a monthly donation, subscription, um, patreon.com slash the barricade is where you can find us and we have a small community of donors we are very thankful to their financial support we rely on it and um to the others please share our content um subscribe and we'll see you all in the next segment of our show thank you very much